how did you get your name Moby? So, this is the story that my parents told me. <laughs> Keeping in mind, they lied to me a lot. Hello, I am Ed Begley Jr., and I'm willing to do anything to help the planet. And I love taking public transportation for just about any journey around LA. I'll even ride my bike to power a toaster oven. And of course, I love my wife. I'm Rochelle Carson Begley. I haven't touched a bike since, well, it's been a while. I'm a bit of a reluctant environmentalist. However, I do love Ed. We don't have all the answers, but we do want to make a difference. Hopefully, we'll learn a little from us, and more importantly, we hope to learn from you. Because collectively, you know way more than we ever could. So we invite you along for the journey we call Begley-esque. Podcast to help you live a sensible, sustainable life, protect the environment for the future, and of course, save money. And survive the craziness of living with an environmentalist. In this episode, we talk to our friend Moby, and you're going to find out where his name came from. We got to send some thanks out to Casper for supporting Begley-esque. For $50 off any mattress, go to casper.com slash go green and enter promo code go green. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Begley-esque. We're so glad you joined us today. And guess what? We have someone else joining us today. DJ, musician, author, photographer, dear friend, animal rights activist, Moby. Thanks, Moby, for coming. It's so great. I'm so great. Well, I'm very happy to be here. I know that podcasts are not necessarily a visual medium, (laughs) but let me describe. I love what you're wearing, by the way. (laughs) Oh, thanks. So we're sitting in your brand new house, which is beautiful and filled with light and has giant tall ceilings, which I guess make more sense for you guys because you're both kind of tall. We are are that. Me as someone. And I know Jeff Goldblum was here, right? He was. So it also makes sense for him. Yeah. I appreciate it aesthetically. It's a little bit wasted on me because I'm not very tall. Like, <laughs> You're I don't, a mighty but, man in many ways, no, though. thanks. But we you feel the, good, right? And that's all that matters. We have yeah. the tall ceilings for Jeff to come over. is kind of a, yeah. a deal breaker. We sort of have a lot of tall people. But then again, we have our housekeeper who is 5'1", who sort of has to... It's tough. There's a lot of step ladders involved. Yeah. yeah. But again, thank you. And, you know, you're so many things. For our purposes today, I mean, you're a green person in that you aren't physically green. Not but just you for are, our purposes. He's right. a green person all the time. He's a noted <laughs> vegan and an activist and drives a Tesla. He's as green as he gets. Yeah, he's animal, dark green, not light he's dark green, green. That's right. He's an yeah. animal activist. Which came first? Hmm. I mean, I was raised by progressive hippies. Oh, good. In what town? So this is where it gets a little bit odd. Uh, I was born in Harlem. Hmm. Did you in say Harlem? Harlem, yes, Harlem, New York. Okay. And then my dad died when I was two, and my mother moved, she and I, back to Connecticut, where she had grown up, to Darien, Connecticut. Know it well. So Darien is one of the most affluent towns in the world. Quite white, I would say. Very Very homogenous. Very different than Harlem. And my mom and I were on food stamps and welfare until I was 18, and she was a pot-smoking hippie. So I grew up in this conservative, preppy, affluent town with my mom dating Hell's Angels and smoking pot and us, like, you know, buying food with food stamps. There's a Norman Lear series in there somewhere. There's a sitcom somewhere (laughs) in there. I I can relate a little bit, not food stamps, but that is really a dichotomy. So how did you get into music? Yeah, I remember when I was three years old, three and a half years old maybe, I was in the car with my mom and Proud Mary by Credence Clearwater Mm. Revival came on. Maybe I was even two or three and I refused to get out of the car until the song had finished and I sort of feel like at that moment my mom could have figured out both two things one that I would probably spend my life working on music and the other that I would probably end up an alcoholic (laughs) because it was so compulsive like I refused to get out of the car until the song had finished and then like fast forward some odd years and that's exactly how I related to alcohol and whatever drugs were put in front of me. Well, of course, that makes sense. I was sense. about 18 when Proud Mary came out, and I refused to get out of the car when, until it ended. And I was 13 when I first saw Ike and Tina Turner do that song, so we all have a lot in common here. Yeah. Wow. Well, so, I, I, listen, you got good taste. And then the activism, because I was raised by progressive hippies, and most of my teachers were progressive hippies, I was just raised with, I don't know, this understanding or this idea that activism was a good use of a life right you know I was also raised with this understanding that most likely the people in power 
are corrupt and not to be trusted. <laughs> like that was sort of instilled in me from a very early what age. What evidence do you have to support this theory, Moby? I challenge you. <laughs> I don't know where you're getting these wild claims here. I'm assuming that's a rhetorical question. <laughs> yeah. It is indeed, yes. is indeed. So, okay, so then you, so your mom said, okay, uh, I got to get this kid focused. So we gave you piano lessons. I mean, how did you become a musician? Well, my mom dated a lot of musicians. Ah, uh, so did I. We have that in common. Okay. And so she dated musicians. And as we all know, musicians are not necessarily the most stable or reliable people. <laughs> so she would date a musician. They would disappear and sometimes leave behind records and instruments. So I grew up when I was maybe eight or nine years old playing guitar that one of my mom's boyfriends had left behind and listening to his records and someone else's records. And because I wasn't great at sports, I spent a lot of time at home listening to the radio, listening to records, playing music, obsessing over the girls who didn't like me. And that was my education. Wow. A little like you, Ed, except you didn't have that. I had an erector set and a chemistry yeah, set. Yeah, you did. I kind of, <laughs> no, then I got, I, I got turned on to Jonathan Winters, and I started listening to those albums, and then I was... And I just dated musicians as yeah. soon as I could possibly. Yeah. I wasn't quite smart enough for erector set and chemistry set. Yeah. It required way too much like thought and planning and sort of spatial abilities. It was the greatest gift my dad ever got me. I got the erector set, I think I was 11 or 12, and I went right away to the back page. And the first page had like a seesaw and like a little car that you just pushed, you know, with four uh -huh. wheels and no motor. But the motorized designs were in the back. And I built the elevator, which was You mean you could have been an engineer? You could have been, been a stable career guy? <laughs> like my son, Nick. I could Jeez. have a real job, but no. No. Mm -hmm. I started listening to Jonathan Winter's albums, and the, that was the end of it. I know, man. Watching the Steve Allen show, and suddenly I wanted to do all those things. But listen, it all got us to this table today, so that's really cool. So you were a musician, and then, you know, as musicians go, they're not, you know, well, they a lot of activism, and, you know, artists a have lot. a big heart. I mean, that's for sure. The biggest. But you are not only a musician, but you are a vegan. I find that astounding. When did you become a vegan? 1987. Holy wow, moly. Wow, that's so very 29 early. years, so I got my 30-year vegan anniversary <gasps> coming up. To put it in perspective, I... Be, became a vegan when no one knew how to pronounce the word vegan. <laughs> you were a vegan? I was a vegan or a vegan. Or like you'd go into right. a restaurant and ask them like, oh, do you have vegan food? Do you have vegan food? And eventually, I guess around 1989, 1990, everyone agreed, okay, we're going to call it vegan, which really makes no sense. That soft G right. in vegetable, vegetation, uh -huh. vegetarian, like how did that become the hard G in vegan? Everyone says it's hard to do. Yeah. Right. So you, not, you didn't have any role models per se. Was there a reason why you did this? Well, I mean, I grew up with animals. Okay. Um, when I was growing up in a fairly unstable home, the animals were, were trustworthy and the people weren't, <laughs> you mm. know. I mean, the people around me were drug addicts and alcoholics and hell's angels and itinerant musicians, and the animals were stable and warm. Aww. So from an early age, I just loved animals unconditionally, but I also had that, well, I was going to say American, but I'd say that global, almost neurochemical paradox where you love animals, but you also eat them. Right. You know, know, like if you had talked to me when I was 18 years old asked, and asked me if I loved animals, I would have said, oh, I just, I love animals so much, but I was still going to Burger King and McDonald's. Yeah. And then I had what I think of as my Saul on the road to Damascus moment where I was petting a rescue cat named Tucker, who I had found in, at the dump. And Tucker was the happiest, most loving cat. And I was 19 years old petting Tucker. And all of a sudden, it's like the two sides of my brain linked. And I suddenly realized Tucker had two eyes and a central nervous system and a rich emotional life and a profound desire to avoid pain. And I extrapolated and I thought, oh, that means every animal with two eyes and a central nervous system has a rich emotional life and a desire to avoid pain. And at that moment, I became a vegetarian, then a couple of years later, a vegan. Doesn't the language affect our uh, our choices in diet too? It's called a burger. It's called a chop. It's called what, I, whatever they call it. But it's not called cow. It's mm -hmm. not called you know uh, 
sheep. It's, they call it all these other things rather than what it really is. Give me a burger. You know, it just seems like a, it's a food thing. It does, give me a cow. Go kill me a cow. It's, an inter- it's a really interesting point. It's almost like you could make a case that the further the nomenclature for food gets away from what the food is, the less ethically produced it is. You know, like if you want a carrot, you eat a carrot. You want an Very orange, good point. you eat an orange. Right. If you want ground up pig, raccoon, and whatever, <laughs> give it like two fun names. Hot dog. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, like clearly there's some bait and switch going yeah. on there. But okay, so you, but back then, I mean, it's hard now, fake cheese, you know, faux cheese. Mm-hmm. And back then it was non-existent. I mean, it was rough. So the biggest thing that I find that some vegans, reasons not to be vegan and this is an argument. Uh, it's not as healthy. How? What's your hmm. take on that? I mean, you look healthy. Yeah, I mean, I would say any diet has the potential to be healthy or not healthy. Uh, you know, you yeah. could be a super unhealthy vegan and only eat white flour bagels and French fries. And mm-hmm. that's the kind of vegan I would be. Yeah. Yeah, and licorice or something. Mm-hmm. But I mean, generally, like a whole foods diet you know, an organic whole foods diet, which is predominantly vegan is, or, or is vegan, that, that seems like that's the healthiest way to live. You it know, is and, for me. And look at Bill Clinton before and after. He's certainly healthier now. He's not going right. to the cardiologist the way he used to. The health benefits of a vegan diet, I mean, one is antioxidants. Antioxidants only exist in the plant world. You can't get antioxidants. Mm. You can get other nutrients in animal products, but antioxidants, you know, all the vitamins and the polyphenols and everything only exist in plants. Another thing that only exists in plants is fiber. There's no such thing as animal product fiber. That's, I thought there was. So good. So okay, great. There are, I hate to say this as a vegan, but I have to be honest, there are beneficial nutrients in some animal products. Mm-hmm. But those two things in particular, you know, antioxidants, fiber, and there are also lots of other nutrients like B vitamins, other things that like, are largely only found in the plant kingdom. Of course, as a vegan, I have to be aware of calcium intake. Mm-hmm. I have to be aware of B12. Protein is fine. You know, like nuts and beans and grains and whole foods. Like I have more than enough protein. Mm-hmm. How do but, you then? How do you get those nutrients? What form do you get your bees from? And your well, the bees from whole grains and things. Okay. Um, calcium, it does exist in the plant world. Mm-hmm. Broccoli has calcium. Yeah, broccoli, leafy greens, kale, yeah. chard. The other thing with calcium, though, that's interesting is the more protein you eat, specifically the more acidic protein you eat, the more you leach calcium from your mm-hmm. bones, which is why osteoporosis barely exists in certain parts of the world where they don't eat a lot of animal protein. Right. So oddly enough, eating animal protein creates a sort of acidic pH mm-hmm. base in the body. And to counteract that, the body leaches calcium from the bones. I have but heard I, that. Drinking milk is not your friend when it comes to calcium. That's for and, sure. Um, so I take calcium supplements. I take a B12 supplement because that really is one thing that barely exists in the mm-hmm. plant world. Um, I take DHA, vegan mm-hmm. DHA, because it's good for our brains and I don't want to eat fish. Mm-hmm. Ironically, the fish get it from algae. The fish just eat a lot of algae. So, so the if you fish eat algae, interesting. The fish get the DHA from the algae, then people eat the fish where it's concentrated. So oh. I just eat this Udo's, I'm not promoting Udo's because I don't no, have any sponsorship deals, but Udo's vegan DHA. I'm going to get some. Yeah, you should. It's pretty. I will. It, yeah. it actually, oddly enough, I feel like it's sort of improved my cognitive abilities. Do you drink coffee? I need some help with that. So I used to own a tea company in New York, a tea <laughs> shop, and I realized at one point I wasn't spending a waking hour without consuming caffeine. Mm. So I've really cut back. I'm down to one or two cups of either white tea, green tea, or black tea a day. But no coffee. I love coffee. Um, I had brunch yesterday with my ex-girlfriend, and we split a chocolate mocha latte thingy with... Um, almond milk at uh-huh. Real Food Daily, and it was it was great. So you got coffee, a wire on, didn't you? You got buzz. <sighs> yeah. I just walked Nothing around. Like the, I walked around the parking lot like punching car windows. <laughs> <laughs> it's truly an addiction, though. Food I mean, is you mean? Yeah. Well, food is an addiction. We know it that. Can be. It can be certainly for me. But the giving up of the certain taste, and I think you just have to re-educate um, your palate. 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, when I first became a vegan, I had no idea what to eat because I, I had grown up eating frosted flakes mm -hmm. with milk that I would put extra sugar on yeah. and I was right, eating too. sausages and Stouffer's French bread pizza and Big mm -hmm. Macs. And then all of a sudden I had to learn how to like brown rice right. and I had to learn how to like steamed broccoli and learn how to like tempeh. And I also had to learn how to cook. Yeah, and that's so a first, big one. It was rough, you know, living in this culture that so heavily subsidizes the food that's bad for us. Mm -hmm. Yes. You know, sort of like seek out in 1987 healthy, organic, whole foods and learn how to cook them and learn how to like them. It was definitely a challenge. Do you but like cooking now? Yes, I do. But for, you don't have the time all the time, do you? Well, also, <clears throat> I am really comfortable being average at a lot of things. Like, I think there's a, I think there's a <laughs> great... Nothing average about your music, but <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Yeah, there's like yeah. a great virtue in not being an expert. Like, for example, I wanted to learn how to sail. Even yeah. though I grew up in Connecticut, I never learned how to sail. And I couldn't find a sailing class that would just teach me how to be an average sailor. Like, everything was like, three intensive days, 16 hours a day, you're going to learn how to, like, sail across the world. I'm like, no, I just want to know how to go from point A to point B and not sink. Around the jetty, come back yeah, yeah, in yeah. past the, the breakwater. And the same thing with food. Like, I'm part, like, the restaurant that I have, Little Pine, like, the oh food there is really well crafted. The Little Pine, I will. It's so good. It is so That's good. One I took the best restaurants in L.A., one of the best restaurants birthday. ever. And it was Thank you. That's the best delicious. gift you've ever given me. Yes, we need to get back there. It's not Little in our pine. neighborhood. That's the only problem. It we is. need another I'll one. Do you need to open another one? I love it. It is, I have to say, my number one vegan restaurant in Los Angeles. It's in Silver Lake. It's on Rowena, near Glendale Boulevard, I believe. Rowena in Silver Lake. And it is adorable restaurant, but the food is astounding. You don't even realize you're eating vegan food. Yeah. So... Um, but when I cook at home, I'm an average, utterly mediocre bachelor cook. I love to cook. I enjoy it. Now I got the kitchen. I can do it. I can't it's blame it on kitchen. the kitchen anymore. And, yeah, because the old kitchen, I thought, well, when we get a bigger kitchen, he won't mind that I'm in it while he's cooking, and he still minds that I'm in it. What say you? When do I ever okay, mind whatever. you? Okay, whatever. It doesn't matter. <laughs> but, okay, let me just ask you a I question. I worship you. Because a lot of people think, you know, eating vegan or eating organic is expensive. It can be. You know, how do you make it a cheaper endeavor? What do you well, I mean? I put out a book about six years ago called Gristle, and it's about the consequences of animal agriculture. Mm. And then I did a little book tour. It's not a fun book. No. It's very academic. It was mainly bought by teachers. So I did a little book tour, and this was the recurring question. Everyone's saying, like, being vegan so expensive like what do you say to people who live in the inner city who couldn't possibly afford vegan food i'm like it's all subsidies mm -hmm. we subsidize to tens of billions of dollars the food that's bad for us you know we like if it, without subsidies a family of four going to mcdonald's it's like 75 dollars a pound of beef would be 30 dollars without subsidies a gallon of milk would be about 20 dollars without right. subsidies so we're, we subsidize tobacco production. Mm -hmm. We subsidize the worst possible industries and the things that are terrible for us. And it's mind boggling. Like, I mean, when I take a step back and think of that, like the fact that our tax dollars should be subsidizing, you know, things that are sustainable, things that are healthy, things that are beneficial. And instead they just subsidize these old outdated industries that create toxins, that create poisons, that create environmental degradation. And lots of methane, which is more potent than CO2 coming out of a tailpipe. All the methane comes out the front and back of a cow is a big it's, greenhouse gas. It's pretty disturbing. We've talked about like the climate consequences of animal agriculture. Like I was on one hand encouraged that COP21 in Paris happened. Mm -hmm. and What's I was, that? What's that? COP21 was the every... Well, the majority of the countries on the planet gathering to talk about implementing. Oh, the last, the Paris thing? Yeah. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. Okay, I just didn't and hear And finally, it. China yeah, yeah. came yeah, yeah. on board and India <clears throat> came on board. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. And, but the disheartening thing was there was no mention of animal agriculture. Mm -mm. And regardless of whether you're a vegan or not, the impact of animal agriculture on climate change is so dire. You know, World Watch, I think released a report saying that between 40 and 50% of climate change comes from animal agriculture. Mm. And then when you also look at rainforest deforestation, 90% yeah, mm. of which huge. is for grazing and for mm -hmm. crops that are fed to cows, these are, you know, the rainforests are what, that's what's giving us oxygen. That's the and we're cutting of the it down I know. for grazing. 
I know. I, I heard that recently. I thought they were just cutting it down for timber, but they're cutting it down for, for grazing. For grazing. They're cutting it down for palm oil, too. Yeah, you know, palm, the, yeah in Indonesia, yeah. they're for I sure. I this horrifying, disturbing, but eye-opening experience. I was flying from Argentina to London. It was a very long That's flight. That's a long flight. It's one of the longest flights I've ever been on. Yeah. And middle of the night, we're flying over South America, and I looked out the window, and I was like, oh, I wonder what city we're flying over. <laughs> oh, no. And I looked on the screen, the little in-flight map, and I realized, oh, we're flying over the middle of Brazil. We're flying over the middle of the rainforest. And what was below me to the horizon was fires. Oh, man. As far as I could see, yeah. fire after fire after fire, like countless I know, and they don't, fires. yeah. Uh, same thing in Indonesia. It's tragedy. It's pure, yeah. Lots so, of fires, lots of clear cutting, killing yeah. the orangutans to, so they can grow palm oil because now they become pests, the orangs. You know, they take the babies and try to sell them and, and kill the, right. the parents. It's just, it's pretty easy to become a misanthrope. It is, isn't yeah. it? You know, I mean, it's like really like, I feel like basically like the beginning of a tale of two cities, the Charles right. Dickens book the worst sort of describes yeah. us yeah. as a species. I agree. Like we're capable of doing so much good. I agree. And such blind destruction and pointless devastation. Right. So I just hope that somehow we evolve before the consequences catch up with us. I do too. But Okay, so there, there are clearly people who are still going to eat meat. Yeah. So what do you suggest to them? What can they do to eat meat more responsibly? My first suggestion is just educate yourself as much as possible. Mm -hmm. If I was concerned with someone's health, I would say stop eating non-organic animal products right. right now. Because every molecule that an animal is exposed to in its life lodges in its fat cells. So all the growth hormones, mm -hmm. all the antibiotics, all the pesticides, everything, all the sprays, everything right. that animal is exposed to gets in the milk and mm -hmm. gets into the meat. So like for health reasons, just stop eating commercially produced right. animal products. And then eat less. Eat yeah, less, one day period. a week, just have a meat-free day and see how you like it. See if you can get by without it. Yeah. You know, John Cleese is a friend of mine, and one day he gave me a heart time actually more than one Probably day now some pretty good name dropping by yeah the way. i know, is, I know. we have yeah. a lot of those <clears throat> but he <laughs> said to me why do you eat this fake meat if you want to have vegetables have some broccoli i said and it's true you know they had me till i was 20 years old i was a meat eater till i was mm -hmm. 20 i haven't had red meat since i was uh 20 years old and so i it's a familiar place to go to have these fake meats and fake things who's getting hurt in the bargain if you're going to have fake beef or fake chicken or fake shrimp or whatever that it is. I don't like mm -hmm. fake meats. And, and the truth is I eat plenty of vegetables that have nothing to do with meat, taste alike or lookalikes. But it's a familiar kind of a fun thing to have a veggie dog once in a while. Yeah, to each their own. You know, I have friends who live on fake meat and I have friends who don't like fake mm -hmm. meat. Like, God bless both approaches. I, I agree. I dabble in it. Well, I have it once in a while. Soy isn't so great for us either. Well, certainly the women. GMO soy, honey. Steer yep. clear of that. And any soy, you can overdo soy, that's for sure, too, even the non-GMO soy. So stay away from the GMO soy and, and don't have too much of it, it would be my recommendation. Yeah, I mean, like in Asian culture, oftentimes it's sort of like a condiment, almost. Right. Right. But you they know? do believe in their protein, at least my, ac my acupuncturist does. Eat more protein. I'm like, well, gluten finally turned on me. I had so much gluten for years because all those veggie meats back in 1970 mm -hmm. and 1980 and 1990 were all gluten. I just had so much gluten that... It turned on me, and now I really, I can eat it. It's not like I'm going to mm. go into convulsions, but I, I can't eat uh, gluten without getting in, a bit of indigestion. Okay, huh. so, so for those people out there who are on the fence or just want more information, what, are there documentaries or there's resources that they can look into? Yeah, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I love being a vegan activist is because, like, there are other types of activism I'm involved in that mm -hmm. are a little singular focused. Yeah. And they're certainly important. What? Um, all of them. Whether, let's talk about women's issues. Yay, talk about my LGBTQ favorite. issues. Talk yep. about yeah. so many. Right. Advancing those issues is profoundly important. Right. But there's usually only like one or two ways to advance them. Whereas with veganism, you can advance it based on climate. You can advance it mm -hmm. based on health, on deforestation, on famine, on resource allocation, antibiotic resistance, zoonotic disease, 
or Combating the love crowd. for the animals. I mean, there's so many. So like, yeah, you really so, got a point. I never even thought of that. So to your point, like, it, you, being a vegan activist, it's okay. Maybe I'm overstating it because I don't know <laughs> martial arts, but it's kind of like being a ninja, right. where if I meet someone who loves animals, uh-huh. I talk to them about their love of animals. If I meet a sociopath who could care less about animals but <laughs> wants to live longer and look better, right. that's what I talk about. If I meet someone who's just a climate activist, I talk to them about that. Okay. So it's really nice to have all these different like mm. activist arrows in my quiver. Now let me ask you this, because my sister was a research scientist, and you know she did have mice, and so she's now a professor, so... She's not going to get into trouble. But I know that, like, there's some organizations that are more militant than others. And so, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a fine line because we still want, you know, we do want research or for drugs. I mean, what is your feel on that? I, you know, My approach mainly as a vegan activist mm-hmm. is I'm non-judgmental. Oh, I like that. And what I really like to focus on also in, like, let's talk about, like, reproductive issues. Yes, like to focus on the stuff everyone can agree on, you know, start from there Uh and then move out. Like don't start on the fringe, start in the middle. So for example, I, I mean, I was a philosophy major. I'm not a scientist, but what I know is that a lot of, I know someone's calling Eddie. Um, (laughs) I think it'll stop. It'll stop something. Sorry. I know that there's a lot of research is completely unnecessary. Yeah. You know, like the Dre's test and whatever, like, like, where they're spraying oven cleaner into rabbits' oh. eyes to find out if it makes them blind. Yeah. And they have to do it 10,000 yeah, times. I'm like, can... you know, we can all agree yeah. that's not great. Right. I know that um, my friend Neil Bernard, he has the Physicians Committee for great Responsible guy. Medicine. Amazing doctor. Mm-hmm. He, If he were sitting here, he would probably say, I assume, that a lot of animal testing simply isn't good science, which is why mm-hmm. a lot animals, of places are really. moving away from it. Like right. Johns Hopkins doesn't do animal testing oh, anymore. Wow, Harvard Medical doesn't that. do animal testing anymore. Wow. Partially for ethical reasons, but mainly because there are better ways of testing. You know, and like when I talk to people, I'm like, okay, so you want to test something on rats? Well, that's fine. Would you, would you want a blood transfusion from a rat? <laughs> would you want an organ transplant from a rat? <laughs> Clearly, yeah. physiologically, rats are so different from us. Right. How in the world could we test medicine that we would take on a creature that is built built so differently from us? And also, I mean, like there are certain things like thalidomide passed its animal trials. Did it? Flying colors. Wow. So like there's a track record there that's really worrisome. Again, I'm sure some, your sister or some super smart researcher could say, oh, but here are instances where we test on animals and it makes sense. I'm like, you know what? Maybe that's the case. But I'm sure that there are lots of instances where animal testing is unnecessary mm-hmm. or actually harmful. No, I I can definitely see your point completely. And I like this. This feels sort of Socratic. Yeah, <laughs> if I knew what that meant. I would be, be in Socrates, agreement. Socrates, honey. Oh, okay, okay, very like cool. Like point counterpoint dialectic. Okay, can I completely change the subject though? How did you get your name Moby? So. This is the story that my parents told me. Keeping in mind, they lied to me a lot. <laughs> okay. Um, as far as they know, I'm related to Herman Melville. Wow. So before I was born, my parents decided if I was going to be a boy, my legal name was going to be Richard Melville Hall. So then I was born, and I'm a boy, yep. so they gave me that name Richard Melville Hall. And then my dad looked at me and said, you know, Richard Melville Hall would be a great name for an accountant or a lawyer, less so for a little grub of a bald baby who looks like Uncle Fester. <laughs> and so my dad said, what if we just call him Moby? And it was supposed to be my infant joke nickname. Right, right, right. And now, 51 years later, <laughs> I am globally saddled with my infant joke nickname. Oh, it's that's a great a name. I like it a great name and a great but story. It's also interesting because like having the name, I mean, one, and this is completely absurd, uh, the L.A. Public Library, I guess about three years ago, the entire year, they focused on Moby Dick. And so I kept mm-hmm. getting invited to go to places to talk about Moby Dick. <laughs> Keep in mind, I've never finished the book. That's pretty tough. But I would show up and be treated like an expert because my parents think I'm related to Herman Melville. I was like, so I would speak, you know, <laughs> so knowledgeably about Moby Dick and like metaphor. And I've never finished the book. 
Yeah, I don't think I ever read it. Yeah, I know there's a whale I gotta involved, confess, right? I never Did you finished never? it. No. Is it I, it's I, about the whale, right? It sure is. Yeah. Yeah. They have been the whale and yeah, the whole okay. thing. But the yeah. one thing I will say, keep in mind I haven't finished the book. I saw the movie. I've read the Cliff's Notes. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. Is allegorically, I can't think of a better literary figure to be named after. Because I realized what Moby Dick represents in the book is the vast, chaotic, uncontrollable, unknowable forces of nature and the divine. Wow. Yes. And like oh, Ahab, wow. to continue the allegory or metaphor, I still don't know the difference between mm-hmm. those two things. Ahab represents 19th century rational humans trying to control nature. Right. And Dominion. Being, and being destroyed and being driven insane by their inability to control nature. So interesting. Her pet name for me is the other half of that title that you got. <laughs> what? Um, <laughs> you teeny dick. I He's don't know. Such a... Yeah, I could have could have been Dick instead of Moby. I mean, I, know. I mean, Moby made it. A, it was very complicated when I was growing up, having to explain to teachers, to friends, parents. It's incredible branding. Are you kidding? I say Moby, and they go, "Yeah, I know who that is." It's not like Moby. The da 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 da. I don't have to say anything else. They just say Moby, and they get it. But I also, I think it also contributed to my grade point average. Because when I was growing up, when teachers found out that I was related to Herman Melville, they just liked me more. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Just made assumed yeah. things. I was like, you know, it might not yeah. be true. My parents might have just been lying. Yeah, exactly. You know. But you are from Darien. Well, Where did Harlem, you go actually. from Darien? Did you go for, to New York or L.A.? Where'd you go next? In 89, well, actually in 88, I moved to an abandoned factory in a crack neighborhood in Stamford, Connecticut. Mm. So I spent a couple of years living in this abandoned factory I had no running water, no bathroom. A couple of years? A couple of years. I loved it. Wow. Because I had free electricity so I could work on music. When you're there living in that factory, if you'd had a Casper mattress, who is a wonderful company that sponsors our show, you would have been more comfortable in that factory. We're more comfortable in our beautiful home here in Studio City in that mattress. I tried it. It's one of the most comfortable God, mattresses. I know. It's actually one of the most comfortable mattresses. I was amazed. And then when it came in the box, I was like, what? What is this? This is How a is mattress? How is this going to be a bed? There's a bed in here somewhere. It's but a- you know what? The truth is, it was easy to get upstairs, wasn't it? Because it was, it was. in a box. Yeah. It wasn't so cumbersome. So it was quite ingenious. Yeah. I took it out of the box. Hayden gave me a hand with that. And you take the wrapping off it. It unfurls like some sort of a Nerf toy or something. It just did very easy. You take it out of the, the packing materials and it just assumes the position. It's really great. It's very easy to, to carry wherever you want it in your house and to set it up. And it wasn't like, you know, bent oddly or anything. It was like perfect. And then the box, you just sort of recycle. It was perfect. And let me tell you about Casper. They're an online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the cost. They are revolutionizing the mattress industry by cutting the cost of dealing with resellers and showrooms and passing that savings directly on to the consumer. Another great thing about Casper, they offer free delivery and painless returns within a 100-day period. 100 days, so you don't have to lie down in a showroom. Did you know statistically lying in a bed in a showroom has no correlation to whether it's the right bed for you? Casper's mattresses are made in the USA. Free shipping and returns to US and Canada. You can save an additional $50 towards a mattress purchase by going to casper.com slash go green, entering the promo code go green. That's casper.com slash go green and promo code go green. Terms and conditions apply. You know, I got to say, Moby, you're a hardy lad. I'm impressed. So I was making around $3,000 a year. Wow. Um, and trying to get work as a DJ in New York and trying to get a record deal. And then in 1990, I got my record deal in New York and I moved back to the city and started DJing in New York and stayed in New York until about six years ago when I had the most self-evident epiphany. A lot of my epif- epiphanies are completely obvious to most people. I was walking up Orchard Street in the Lower East Side in March or February and it was cold and sleeting and disgusting you know mm-hmm. that like that yeah. that new york mm-hmm. cold. i used to live there oh, yeah and like yeah. my skin hurt and i was wet and i was just so unhappy and this little voice in the back of my said in the back of my head said you do know at this very moment there are warm places in the world and they're actually warm places in the united states <laughs> why are you here right huh? right and around that time i got sober and then very quickly also realized new york is paradise for drunks but a very rough place to be sober I agree. So, I very, so, yep. Did you ever have a day job? I've had lots of day jobs. Um, 
I mean, even now I would say like I make music because I love it, but activism is my day job. My first day job was working in a dry cleaners, um, unbuttoning things and like putting people's names in collars. Then I stuffed envelopes in the basement of an insurance company. Of course, I did all the suburban things like cut lawns, painted houses, etc. The worst job I ever had was I was a dishwasher at a restaurant. Macy's had a restaurant in Stamford, Connecticut. So disgusting because it was like fish and chicken and beef. And I would go home and I smelled like the bottom of a Tijuana dumpster. Like it just was so <laughs> bad. Oh. Yeah, so that's the worst okay. job I ever had. Glad we got you here. Harlem, Connecticut, abandoned factory, New York, here in Los Angeles. That's my life in a little vegan you nutshell. You know, because we were in the same movie. I'm going to plug the movie now. If you want to get it on Netflix, Pittsburgh. maybe it's called yeah. Pittsburgh, about you and Jeff Goldblum, Ed and Jeff Goldblum, doing the music man. Well, it's about his fiance and him, really. I'm a well, minor character. Well, you are in it, and Moby is in it, and I forced my way into it, although I didn't get much airtime, I might you add. You were very good what you did, honey. I the insisted upon was very it. Good. I begged to get in it. So we are all, all three. Yeah, we all work together. Yes, we, we did. And we worked together on um, that. Betas. Betas, which was almost identical to Silicon Valley and exactly. for some reason didn't get picked up. Yeah. Wow. And Blunt Talk. Blunt Talk. So, oh, right. So we're veterans. Like, That's we, I right. I want to do all my projects for you. <laughs> <laughs> now, okay. So do you act too? You sure does. I mean, you clearly do. Like if someone, if someone asks, it's one of the things I like about living in LA. Well, there are many things I mm-hmm. love about living here. But one is you go to a party, you go to a restaurant, you talk to someone and they say, oh, hey, I'm working on this weird pilot or this weird show. Do you want to act? And I'm like, well, keeping in mind, I'm not an actor, but sure, it's either that or like stay home and watch The Crown. Yeah. Which the Crown is very good. It was good. very good. Very, you. very good. Yes. But I'm like, you know what? Like, I can watch TV another time. Like, <laughs> right, right, right. Why not go to some weird part of L.A. and have a cameo in something I know nothing about? Yeah. And you can you do that off, because my friend. You're very not, good in everything we've yeah. done together. All right. So you're not married. Nope. Are you looking? Because I might have some friends. I don't know. Okay. Sort of. So yeah. this is where we enter <laughs> a potentially tricky realm it's one of the only things that's a little challenging for me to talk about because it's hard for me to be honest about this. Oh, God. But I will I aspire to be honest, which is after all this time, I've realized that I don't really like relationships that much. Me either. Jeez, <laughs> thank God. Someone well, you have a reason. Not you guys to like are true. like, was it like Jack and Gracie? Yeah, yeah. I, I think mean, we are. I know. Because yeah. um, my ex girlfriend is wonderful. Mm-hmm. We were together for a while, she's one of my best friends smart beautiful lovely but at some point i just had to be honest with myself i was like i don't really like relationships i really love writing books i really love working on activism i really Mm -hmm. love running my restaurant and making music so if i was to be in a relationship ideally it would have to be in service of activism so being in a relationship with an activist who just needed you that to be there. was a partner that could help you in that realm and do things together, do important I, things together. I think so, because as time has passed, and this is where it gets a little tricky, because uh-huh. I don't want to sound like, because it sounds potentially a little judgy, and I don't mean it, I'm just speaking yeah, yeah, for yeah, myself, no, no. which is, I appreciate it. my happiness takes a backseat to activism. Oh, isn't that That's sweet? a beautiful you know, thing. That's and very impressive. So selfless of you. I mean, I like being happy. Yeah, but know? that makes you happy, activism. It, it does, but also I, a life with purpose. Purpose, absolutely. You know, it's like kind of all I want is like mm-hmm. a life with purpose and a death with meaning. Death you know? with meaning. Now I really want a death with meaning, but yeah. not anytime soon. <laughs> so to that end, like things that people do, and this, I don't want to, again, I'm not being critical, but things that people do that give them sort of like time-wasting well-being, I'm okay with that if, as long as it doesn't impede upon activism. Because I don't know if I'm making the world a better place, but I really want to try. Right. Like every day, wake up and be like, how can I try to make the world a better place? Me too. I'm, I'm in the you same know? boat, pal. And a lot of times what people do in relationships takes away from that, I think. You know? 
Like I've had an epiphany. Rochelle, we're done. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to move out? I hit the house wait to myself. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Ah! Let's not get crazy oh, no. here. Could, could build a little yurt in the backyard. Yeah. We don't have to. We sort of figured it out. He is the first floor. I'm the second. And um, I hear you. I completely hear you. And I'm trying to think of those things that I do that are a waste of time. Oh, I do so Shopping. many. Shopping. I so many waste of time things. But as long as I balance them out with things that are sort of in keeping with this weird sense of purpose that I have. Right. And then, you know, the beauty of, I, I totally agree. And that's the sort of reason I have a podcast. Cause I was sitting around going, what am I doing with, I get, I know how to talk. At least we can talk. <laughs> Where do you ever? We, <laughs> we have interesting friends who are doing things. I might not be doing anything, but I can talk about what they're doing. So, Oh. No, don't don't sell yourself short. Okay, That's right. Honey. Okay. Actually, I even have to chime in on that one. You do a lot. <laughs> All right. So we're talking activism. So give us some ideas for people who might be listening who want to do stuff. What what can they do? Um, they can vote on November six, two thousand eighteen. Hallelujah. Um, they can support progressive candidates. Both because the thing is, progressives ignore midterm elections. Uh, they do, don't they? Which is heartbreaking. This time, I hope that won't be the case. I think Me we're too. so galvanized mm -hmm. and so motivated. I feel like there's hopefully going to be a progressive upswell and we take back the House and the Senate and governorships and state and local legislatures. So that's the first thing we can do. And also contribute to, well, I was going to say contribute to the ACLU, but I heard something that like they've made more money in the last like few days uh, and they, they made sure have. all of last year that's right but that doesn't mean they don't oh, they, need every penny and, of it yeah because their so, work has increased they need yeah, more absolutely. people hire more people God, absolutely yeah, I mean, amazing what they're doing so but voter registration voter cards like the people who are doing that that's the first thing i think any of us can do because right. whatever issue we care about like we can disagree not that we do mm -hmm. but on our like our core issues but I think we can broadly agree that a, like progressive politicians advance our issues more than conservative politicians. Yeah. For the most part. You uh, know, like, do you know any conservative vegans? Too. I mean, that's just, I, if, actually, if you're out there, there get in is touch. one. Who? Well, there are two. Oddly enough, Jerry Falwell's son is a vegan now. Really? I didn't the know guy that. He's, he apparently spoke at the inauguration. I think All it's for right. health reasons. His doctor said, look, you're fat and you're dying. Yeah. Okay. You know, like, and so he became a vegan. Um, also, there's a fascinating book, Matthew Scully, I think that's his name. He wrote a book called Dominion, and he was George Bush Sr.'s speechwriter. Wow. So he's a Republican, but he wrote a book about sort of the misinterpretation of the word dominion. Mm -hmm. And I, the premise, I'm going to paraphrase, is that for the longest time, we've, we've used that word to subjugate. Right. Whereas dominion etymologically means to behave in a godlike manner. You know, dominate is the root of that. Mm -hmm. Right, right, of course. So to have dominion over the environment or over animals or over people is to treat the environment, animals, and people in a godlike, benign manner. Like they're as sacred as they actually are. Not to subjugate and destroy them. That not means right. you treat them. your wife that way too, okay? So my, <laughs> I'm getting to that. Yeah, Let yeah, me start with the other animals. <laughs> yeah, start with trees. Yeah, 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 yeah no. Spotted owls but, and then finally Rochelle. Yeah. But then, so so his that's, that's a really interesting book written by wow. the only other conservative vegan well, I know of. I'm sure they exist. We just, uh, listen, I... I would welcome them in here. It would be very interesting conversation, wouldn't it? Yeah. yeah. And because I think we're going to see heroes from the other side of the aisle for me. I think there'll be Lindsey Graham and John McCain heroics that will happen in the next right. two years that will yeah. save the day. It yeah. is so, like we've stepped through the looking glass when I find myself getting warm and fuzzy for the Koch brothers. Because the Koch brothers came out saying that Trump's, you know, ban yeah. on immigration is horrifying. Yeah. Right. And I'm like, the Koch brothers are the most evil people who've ever breathed. Why do I suddenly, why am I suddenly thanking them? Like, why, no. like, yeah, you find your heroes where you, you find them. Find you find your friends. You a little good in most people. Okay. That They're going to save the, the day, though. I really think, like Han Solo in Star Wars, you think he's in for the money, ain't coming back. Yeah. They come back, they show up, and they, in the big battle, they, they help yeah. save the day. Okay. I, mean, I mean, I really do wonder, like, like, well, Trump, I think he is, mm, <laughs> he, he has this 
problem called malignant narcissism. Mm. If you read the symptoms of malignant narcissism, <laughs> you're reading about Donald Trump. It's it's almost disconcerting. That's he's like textbook DSM 4.5 malignant mm-hmm. narcissist. Mm-hmm. But why why are they so wrong and mean? At why? least with some Republicans, you're like, oh, you're self-interested because you own defense companies, you own oil companies, and you just you want lower taxes and whatever, like, yeah, you suck, but I get it. Yeah. With this, it just seems pathological. And I, I'm just, like, it's really odd, sort of to what you were saying, like, up until this point, I've seen Republicans as being like the opposition, but I still see them as being, uh, they're reasonably smart. Right. This is the first time where I've looked at people and I question their humanity. You know, like I actually, I don't qu- think I'm like, they think about it. I don't. I really don't think they think it through. Like I, I look at Steve Bannon. I'm like, how? Well, he does. How are we the same species? <laughs> yeah. I don't get it. Yeah. Well, Ed and I come from a long line of Republicans, which is a very strange thing. That's to, where I get all my environmental yeah. ethics from my conservative Republican dad. Weird. He was a conservative that liked to conserve. Turned off the lights. Turned off the water. Save strings. Save tinfoil. He was the son of Irish immigrants. He lived through the Great Depression. He would be appalled today. I mean, he Nick, would be appalled. Nixon, Nixon founded the EPA. Exactly. Yeah. He signed the Clean Water Act and the Clean Air Act. My dad was a conservative Republican and named me after Rachel Carson. I mean, she, really? yeah, yeah, he did. He always told me my whole life. That's a way better naming story than mine, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Except Rachel it's Carson. Rachel. <laughs> but there's a French. certain irony yeah. naming her after Rachel Carson. Uh, listen, a Tyrolean kid, <laughs> I live with you, okay? <laughs> All right, so enough. As you've got the tire fire going in the backyard. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, let's talk. About, can I just ask you a little bit about your music that sure. we all love, love, love? So has your music been affected by your personal philosophy, which I would imagine it? And if so, does it come out of the songs you write? Have you done that? To an extent. Yeah. Some of my musical heroes are people who are really good at writing political socially inspired lyrics like who like john fogarty like mm-hmm. neil young like john lennon yes. like joe strummer from the clash yes. chuck d from public enemy i mean lots of people are very very good at that i'm not that good at it right so up until recently i've mainly made more personal music and then used my weird public figure status to talk about the issues that are important to me mm, you know okay. to write essays to do interviews but lately I've been trying to address some of these issues lyrically and thematically as well. But there's a sort of more esoteric underpinning to it, which is as humans, this is the former philosophy major, in me, <laughs> as humans, we're really adept at looking at our choices and the consequences of the human condition. Mm-hmm. But we're not as adept at actually looking at the human condition that motivates the choices. I mean, like, so mm. like for, from an environmental perspective or a human rights perspective or a women's rights perspective, we're good at looking at the symptoms of dysfunction. Yes. Less so at the core dysfunction, you know, like our misunderstanding of ourselves, of the world around us, of our place in this world. And I'm almost at this point, I mean, of course you have to like, put out the fire right before you try to fireproof your house mm-hmm. you know but ultimately like looking at why we're making these choices and who we are as a species that's really what interests me and musically that's what i'm a little more interested in dealing with yeah i like that too wow. i'm always more you deep moby yeah yeah <laughs> i was gonna say but you were good. a philosophy. I mate. went to the learning annex and I took this class <laughs> yeah. on how to seem deep in podcasts. Did you did you graduate college? I never quite graduated. Me either. Me either. And look at us both. Look at us. Lou Reed, Bill both Gates, three of Winston us Churchill were in good were in we good. Winston Churchill didn't graduate never quite college. Graduated, apparently, yeah. Wow. Or so I was told I might just be Yeah, I might just be yeah. hoping that one. Okay, besides diet, what else do you do to stay healthy? To stay healthy? Yeah. Uh I well I also have this sort of odd belief but it's not odd because it makes a lot of sense to me that like we live in a universe that might be 15 billion years old and contains dimensions that we're not even aware of i know that that exists okay go ahead (laughs) and we're given this baffling life you know Uh from two little cells we have optic nerves and thoughts and hair follicles you guys have more than i do yeah um you know, 
these amazing bodies, like why not do everything we can to take care of it, you know, to treat it as well as possible. So to that end, some people would think I'm a little monastic and a little bit of a health obsessed person. Mm -hmm. So I only eat organic food. Mm -hmm. Um, I only drink clean water. I do yoga five times a week. I go hiking five times a week. I lift weights and ride bike ride bikes less so because some friends fell off bikes and got really badly hurt so i'm Mm. sort of staying away from my bike but hiking yoga what kind of yoga i like to say that i learned my yoga practice on the mean streets of new york city (laughs) i took a bunch of yoga classes and i didn't like them Uh so i got this thing called the yoga deck and cards? I brought it it's cards yeah. and I brought it with me on tour and I learned how to do yoga from the yoga deck and a year later I went to a yoga teacher and said this is my practice can you show me what I'm doing wrong so every year I ask a yoga teacher to evaluate my practice but I have a really basic practice that doesn't hurt me how long little, does it take 40 minutes half hour wow um, and then I I try to meditate um, I pray constantly I don't know who or what God is yeah you know, in AA, there's a third step, which is mm-hmm. made a decision to turn our life and our will over to the care of God as we understood God. Mm-hmm. My God is a God I don't understand. Mm-hmm. But I still think if there is a divine architect of things, mm-hmm. makes sense to do what he, she, or it thinks is best. So those things. Wow. Try not to get too caught up in negative reactions to things over which I have no control. Ed, are you listening? Very I am, and I'm <laughs> employing a lot of these measures. I'm sorry you haven't noticed. <laughs> so, so those are some, and and I'm a vegan who mainly eats organic whole foods. Yeah, you're right. You're pretty good. Are you it's, listening? That's the question. <laughs> but that's the thing. It's, it's recently a friend of mine said, "Wow, you're such a monk." And I was like, "Well, ten years ago, I was like doing any drug I could find in front of me, drinking bottles of vodka a week, being a pretty." rampant philanderer only eating like deep fried weird vegan food and i was like oh you're right i am like something has happened like well you you go into it and you do give it a hundred percent that's what you're, i'm deducting from i it. guess it all it, to me it all makes sense and if it doesn't make sense tomorrow then hopefully i'll won't be so hidebound that i'll be able to change but you give yourself the space and the time that's the problem because a lot of people are like i can't i don't have time i have to i've got to do this yeah what okay. do you have time for if you don't have time for that that's basic maintenance well, that's, I'm, well yeah. I'm asking you the same question ed you're right no yes. uh, i need to do more of it i will actually get quite I serious do and feel say much I need better to do when more i move yoga more stretching more meditation more praying i need all those things more in my life i don't do it enough thank right. you I mean, of, of course, I also can easily disappear down the Instagram, Facebook rabbit hole. And yeah, we all very easily like, I mean, to counteract everything I just said, I just finished watching 24 season seven. Huh? You know, the show 24. Yeah. Yes. I just, so, I mean, this is like, not to make myself seem like too monastic yeah, and okay. spiritual. Like I also occasionally we'll sit on the couch and watch three or four episodes of just terrible television right we gotta watch 24 i've never seen I've it never i hear seen it's very it. good it's so addictive <laughs> that's what i've heard i was on tour once and i had the dvds for season one and i was like oh i've got insomnia i'm in a hotel room i'll just start watching and all of a sudden it was like it was like doing crystal meth yes deep fried wrapped in Twinkies like it was so addictive like an episode would end and I'm like I, I have to watch Breaking the next Bad one. was like that for me I discovered yeah. it third season and just cracked out on it just caught up on everything and then so, each when did the new episodes come when did they come when did they come you I know like I, there's that. a yeah. reason why I probably couldn't watch it because I my political stance mm-hmm. is I don't watch a lot of programming that doesn't have women in it and there's not a lot of women in 24 there are there's a few they they're they, decorations well actually season seven and eight the president is a woman okay there's well, a lot they, they really i'm not an apologist for no, no, 24 but, but like but, yeah. it was interesting because in the beginning it started off weirdly fox newsy and kind of republican and as it progressed it became incredibly progressive like with a woman Weird. like the main guy sort of becomes a muslim not to give anything away yeah um <laughs> it's the, been off the, you have two black presidents and a female president on the show did you have to have two black presidents and then a female okay so eventually we're going to have that female president I, okay i mean i hope it's elizabeth warren 
That would be great. I mean, that seems like would not be great. Kamala Harris. That she's probably too young, too inexperienced. But, but then again, at the same time, Obama was, was the first it? time senator. I, listen, I yeah. and Kamala Harris. Kamala. Kamala. Kamala okay, I so Kamala. It is. So I mean, she has more work experience before becoming a senator than Obama did. So wasn't yeah. she? She was like an AG, right? Attorney General. Yes, 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 yes. For California, generally. Yeah, I mean, listen, I'd vote for her in a heartbeat. Yeah. Follow her to the ends of the earth. I mean. I mean for her to be our next president it would be so exciting to have a person of color and a woman it would be as awesome. president. I was like, <sighs> yeah, it warmed my heart to even think about it. Me I yeah. know. Now, how do you measure your success in your activism? Success. It's such an interesting question. How to measure success. Well, there's success in activism. There's personal success. There's professional success. In a way, it's almost easier to measure personal, professional success, especially now that no one buys records. So for me, musical success is making music that I love and hoping a few other people like it. Like in the ye olden days of records, you could have quantifiable mm -hmm. metrics by which you determined professional success. And now that doesn't exist unless you're Adele. Yeah, and right, right, right. So professionally... I measure success by making music that I love and having integrity around it and not trying to control how it lives in the world. You know, like if it gets bad reviews, that's fine. Wow. If people like it, that's fine. If they don't like it, that's fine. As long as I loved making it and as long as I feel like it's coming from a place of integrity, that's to me professional success. Ideally, it will reach people and touch them emotionally. But activist success, this is our big question because a lot of times I'm super guilty of this. Like I'll get involved in something as an activist because it fires me up and makes me feel good. But that's not what's important. What's important is, are we moving the needle? You know? So I guess you could really apply like two different metrics, like a specific issue by issue metric. Like six years ago, I got involved with the California state legislature to reinstate funding to domestic violence programs. And it worked. We got $20 million reinstated to combating domestic violence and well providing done. shelters. Mm -hmm. That was super specific success. As an animal activist, it's, or an environmental activist, it's moving the needle. Mm -hmm. You know, it's changing hearts and minds. We can, and pushing legislation and creating media like this. Mm -hmm. But ultimately it's how do we push the needle? Mm -hmm. You know, cause that's really what people in LA are best at is like changing the dialogue and making right. the needle move. So that the people out there will change their behavior. But you're part of a success story, you know, that is quite famous around the world now. From 1970 to date, we have four times the cars in LA in those years, millions more people get a mm -hmm. fraction of the smog. We all did that together yep. with your electric car, with the activism about power plants and other sources of pollution. We all did that together, every Angelino. So that's one you can own that's quantifiable. Mm -hmm. And to that end, I have to say one of the only things that really warmed me after the election was being a resident of California and a resident of Los Angeles. You know, so after the election, everyone was like, oh, the United States has just fallen into this abyss. And I was like, perhaps. I was like, but I live in a state with a progressive governor who believes in climate change, two mm -hmm. female senators. We just passed remarkable gun control laws, and we have a mayor who's smart and progressive and plays jazz piano. You know, <laughs> We're so doing like, okay. So like, sometimes I have to sort of remind myself right. that if I lived in the country of California, I would live in the most progressive country on the planet. Right. Well put, sir. That is oddly enough, I think that Trump and Steve Bannon, in a way, are pushing the needle for us. Oh yes, I agree. You know, like completely agree. They're so reprehensible. And Mike, you look at the women's march. I mean, oh, it was awesome. Which was one of the most beautiful things I've ever been a part of. I, me too. It was so me inspiring, too. and so peaceful, and smart, and Astounding. wonderful. And it wouldn't have happened without Trump. We, I yeah. hate to give him credit no. for this stuff, but like he's the further he goes to this lunatic right. sociopath conservative mm -hmm. right, the more he pushes people in middle America to a progressive left. I agree. So like 
and certainly even activists yeah. like us, we're, we're get a little complacent. We go, well, the government's handling it or whatever on tomorrow. And, you know, it's pushing us to wake up today, yep. grab it, you know, carpe diem, yep. you know. I completely agree. So where can people find you? Uh, Moby.com, but I haven't looked at it in a long time because now, like everyone else, I'm on sort of aggregate social media. So Facebook, Moby, Instagram, Moby, Twitter, Moby. I think Twitter, I'm the little idiot because I'm small and not very smart. Awesome. Well, that is, I, that's a great place to thank you and wrap it up. And hopefully you'll come back and we can recap, hopefully in a while, that things have, the needle has been pushed. Well, thank you for having me on the show. This was really fun. Thank great. you, Moby. Thank you. Here are some of the takeaways from today's show. Activism is a good use of life. Having a whole food diet is the healthiest. There's a great virtue to not being an expert. It's okay to be average. Good way to approach activism is by focusing on things that everyone cares about. Wake up every day and ask, what can I do to make the world a better place? If we want to resolve the dysfunction, we should look at why and how we created that dysfunction in the first place. And finally, let go of negative reactions to things that are out of our control. So that wraps up our episode for this week. And thank you for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe to Begley Ask on iTunes for more episodes. Support the show by leaving a rating and a review. We'd love to know what you think. Do a little, do a lot. Just do something today and tell us what you did. Thank you to our executive producer, Tim Street, and producer, Emma Kikuchi. This podcast is a production of Authentic. For more info on advertising in this show, visit AuthenticShows.com. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye now.